Ugly Talk, where we know things. In this episode, we know things about Twin Peaks and the Mice Quotient. And about problematic uh, content creation. <laughs> That's another episode. Yeah, internet. It's been a while, so how are you? How are you? You're looking good. Um, yeah, today we're going to try and talk about David Lynch, Twin Peaks, and the Mice Quotient. So before we start, let's explain what the hell the Mice Quotient is. Yeah, so the Mice Quotient is a uh, sort of a writing tool developed by Orson Scott Card, um, which it's just four factors necessary to create a necessary to create a story, which are milieu, which is the setting, the world, um, an idea, which is well, an idea, character, and event. And basically, you can take one or two of each of these at any given at any point and kind of use that as the basis. Or a certain element of the story, which um, every time I think of the mice quotient, it reminds me of Twin Peaks. I'm, so like Alice in Wonderland, um, the story begins when she enters Wonderland. That's a milieu story because it's about her experiences through Wonderland. And the story ends when she leaves Wonderland. Now, within that, there's a whole bunch of ideas, characters and events that that happen in there. And all of those are resolved before she ends up leaving Wonderland. With an idea-based story, it's more about information. And the story asks you a question, and an idea uh, an idea is resolved by sort of answering that question, by getting that information. So this would be sort of your classic sort of murder mystery, where you're trying the the main the whole story is about who committed this murder, and then it's resolved by finding the killer. A character story is yeah concerns the uh, concerns the nature of at least one of the characters in your story. So this is your standard kind of character arc. And if the story is based around it, then it probably, I mean, the rest of your story should support, you know, the development of this character, the growth of this character. And the, and an event based story is there's an event and it kind of concerns, you know, what happens, like what happens as a result of the event or kind of resolving the event. Yeah, in the words of uh, Scott Card, as uh, on the website we'll post, it's your main character tries to restore order to the world as the start, and the end is the main character either succeeds or fails. And that's like, as they say here, like Oedipus Rex or Macbeth. And uh, actually, going back to the characters, like it, 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 it sounds like these are d- distinct roles, but character stories you need characters for your stories. Um, that one's a little looser, and the event story um, are also kind of. In lot, it's a very easy example to poke from, which comes to the idea that you can nest your mice words, now your your mice stories. You can have one inside of the other, uh, kind of as we're going to discuss here. Twin Peaks, um, which is odd because Twin Peaks is odd, and it's um, some may say it's not maybe the best example of how to write mice because you also it's it's mice as like filtered through David Lynch. I think it's it, if you look at the pilot episode of the show and kind of the first season of the show, the mice quotient explains why, like, the you can see the mice quotient build in the pilot episode and the, the adherence to mice is why the first season is great and why the second season is terrible. Twin Peaks, when the show starts off, we're like, it's 
we see like a plastic bag basically roll onto the beach and um one of the one of the residents of Twin Peaks opens the bag and finds a finds uh, a woman inside and you see him get on the phone and say yeah it's Laura Palmer she's dead wrapped in plastic and the first 30 40 minutes of the show i think maybe the it was this was a 2 hour pilot cuz it was also meant to be a made for tv movie if the show didn't like if the show didn't catch on within the so the story the story starts by uh by showing us a dead person showing us that somebody was murdered in a like particular a very particular way and the next 30 to 40 minutes go through showing all of our reactions to this murder that we find out that this was Laura Palmer she was the homecoming queen she was like um the central pillar of the town an upstanding model citizen who uh worked for meals on wheels and and like tutored uh like tutored a bunch of kids and you can see the and so this this inciting thing is both um it's both posing to us a question of who killed Laura Palmer but then also presenting the event of what does like what did Laura Palmer's what does Laura Palmer's death do to Twin Peaks? And I guess throughout the first hour of the show, where then the the murder of Laura Palmer is used to introduce us to the city of Twin Peaks. Laura's the effect of Laura's death on the city. Yeah, the yeah the Laura yeah the effect of Laura's death on the city, and then probably and then from that as we as as we're introduced into Twin Peaks. Um, they have to call in a federal investigator. They call in a federal investigator um, because this is a like a weird ritual killing. And so we're then introduced to Special Agent Dale Cooper from the FBI, who is um, honestly carries the show. But um, and but it's it's it makes sense that he carries the show because like th- it, it is through it is as we meet Dale Cooper and we're introduced to Dale Cooper, who is this like quirky FBI agent, which as the show goes on, we find out that every single uh, FBI agent is quirky for some reason. You gotta be quirky to work in the FBI. Yeah. Apparently. But I guess, so like, I guess this is both a, both a character and a milieu, like sort of a character milieu nested sort of introduction because we're introduced to Dale Cooper and we're introduced to, we're better introduced to Twin Peaks through him. And once Dale Cooper arrives, they start doing, they start doing investigating. He does some, he does some basic forensic work and finds out that this ties this together with a series of, with, with a, with a serial murder that's been happening across the West Coast. Um, as they find, uh, there's like a, there's a letter that's, uh, like a, a printed letter that is shoved into Laura Palmer's fingernail. And they have a bunch of these collected from a bunch of similar murders, which I think they got like an R and a B and a T or something like that. And so that's, um, that, and so we are immediately kind of thrust into this, um, into this murder investigation, which is what leads into, uh, us meeting the other characters in Twin Peaks. And this is kind of the other thing about mice is that as you layer stuff on top, as you keep layering things on top, you're not limited to just, um, each of these one things like within a character's arc, you're going to have other different smaller character arcs. You're going to have inciting events. You're going to have ideas. Stuff's going to, stuff's going to be instigated. So like, it's, it's not just, you know, uh, one of each, like every single one of these things is going to contain within itself another, uh, more, more elements of the mice quotient. 
Yeah, you can move up or down across the mice quotient. Like, as we've described so far, we, we started with the idea, you know, who killed Laura Palmer? We have a lock, not a locked room mystery, but we have a mystery. And then it moves on to the event where we see how the town is affected by Laura's death. And then we move on to the milieu where we choose Cooper as our viewpoint character without our audience can kind of act well, as a he, surrogate for we can yeah we can we can because cooper doesn't know twin peaks and neither do we so we experience twin peaks through cooper and then that where it moves into a milieu because now we have cooper entering twin peaks and arriving at this strange place to explore it to solve the idea to deal with the event and then moving down to character where we see all the character stories where cooper interacts to help or hurt or solve these bizarre people in town yeah and this and this goes through like all of season one which um i i mean i i could sit here and like explain season one for a really long time actually but, uh, even it, though it's even though it's only eight episodes long yeah I, I actually was running into this problem while i was working on my uh my article for my conference it's like i have 15 minutes to explain the plot of persona 5 to a bunch of academics it took me a hundred hours to beat it I can't do that within 15 minutes, much less two hours. It's Twin Peaks is very much the same. Yeah, but I think one of the things that's one of the things that's the easiest way to to, to explain this is that uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost never intended for the murder of Laura Palmer to be solved, which is why um, which is why it's introduced along with the event as the f- like the, kind of the foundation here because the murder of Laura Palmer um, f- following the other thing like. Alice in Wonderland, um, we start with Alice entering Wonderland, we end with Alice leaving Wonderland. When that's, you have to like, you have to, you can only wrap up those things once, uh, once every other event has been like, once every other event has been resolved. I think somebody said like, if you write a, if you write a murder mystery that's also a character piece, um, and then goes into, uh, what is it, like, the like a the detective is like study is like going after the is going is like going after the murder of uh this woman's husband if you can have the character story where for whatever reason there's like a romantic plot between the detective and the wife but if you end the story with the detective and the wife getting married and never solve the murder everybody's going to hate you because you have or if you or alternately if you just drop the plot about the detective and the wife by solving the murder and just leaving, it's going to be sort of unsatisfying because it felt like it was building to something and it didn't. And so the the important thing here, which I'm setting up for why Twin Peaks got really bad, um, the first season is experiences all the characters of Twin Peaks and like we get a bunch of subplots and we find out that beneath this quiet town, there's a lot of uh, very seedy stuff. And we also find out that Laura Palmer herself wasn't the model citizen that she like did cocaine and uh, and worked with work uh, worked at a brothel on top of other things, um, which we discover through the investigation of the murder through Cooper uh, talking to other people and kind of experiencing and experiencing the town and. There's and there's all there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of other like inciting character incidents in there like the one of the sheriff's uh, one of the sheriff's deputies uh, Andy I can't remember his full name but I'm glad I, I'm just glad I didn't call him Barney Fife because I always want to call him Barney Fife but one of the sheriff's deputies is like is shown to be incompetent at his job like utterly 
and kind of through the tutelage of Cooper, he's, he becomes a much better deputy to the point where at the climax of the, we're at the climax of the first season. Um, they're like doing this, they're like bra- doing this major like drug bust, um, breaking up this major drug ring that's carrying drugs from Canada down into Washington. I think it's Cooper who's, uh, caught in the line of fire with a, um, or no, yeah, it's, I think it's Cooper or Truman. It's been a while since I've seen the first season, since I've seen the first season of the show. Um, who's like about to get shot by one of the, by one of the perpetrators. And then out of nowhere, uh, Andy bullseye shot, like takes the guy down despite like how previously he didn't even know how to use his gun because they showed Cooper, like kind of teaching him how to be a way better cop. And so we, that's, so the season kind of ends with the, with this specific inciting event about the cocaine that was discovered in Laura Palmer's journal, which ended up tying to a brothel uh, just north of the border and a bunch of other stuff. And so the, that's how the first season of this show ends with a possible capture of somebody who might be tied to the murder of Laura Palmer with the growth of a bunch of characters who are related to the, uh, related to the investigation of the murder of Laura Palmer. Yeah, everybody. It, to to go back to the uh, the ideas and story, everyone is slowly succeeding and becoming better through the event. Slowly yeah. creating their own their 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 new identities after the event. Yeah, everybody. Everybody is. Yeah, everybody's growing and changing as a result of the murder of Laura Palmer, and things are like things are getting things are getting done. With despite how successful season one was, ABC really pushed, um, or at least this is how the story goes. ABC pushed Frost, Frost and Lynch. They pushed them to solve the murder of Laura Palmer in season two. And Lynch and Frost wrote this because that was their contract. Like they they had to follow certain demands of production, and then they kind of left because they were really disheartened by it. What this leads to is that like season two just unravels everything like the first episode and the thing that the thing that kind of like signals this so andy goes from being like not the best cop but he's like becomes like the hero cop who like saved somebody else from being killed like by you know being a competent officer and this goes to the first episode of season two where as andy's like going on to a job he's, he's going to a site to to talk to some witnesses he steps on a plank that pops up out of a deck and hits him in the face and then he just stumbles around for like a minute <laughs> and talks about how when he got hit in the face with the plank blood squirted out his nose and i'm just that that part of it like this is a little unrelated but like that part of it makes me so mad it makes me so mad that they took they took this arc of andy growing as a character and becoming becoming a better and like a better officer to him being relegated to permanent place of comic relief character who as season two goes on go gets dumber and dumber to the point where he doesn't even understand what sex is or how sperm works um <laughs> and this is why we mentioned problematic at the beginning of this is that this we'll, we'll use flanders flanderization of character because i love that term uh, i mean it's not even it, it's it's the most i mean if it's it, yeah, okay, it's the most rapid flanderization possible, because Ned Flanders took 15 seasons to get where he became. Yes, but this is where Lynch, you can see where when Lynch was forced to solve the, you know, explain the mystery, he created a backlash, 
And this is because, if nobody knows about David Lynch, uh, he's a filmmaker that makes films for David Lynch, and we just happen to go along for the ride. So yeah. it's 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 like his own personal works, and having somebody tell him what to do kind of made everything get really bad. So beyond that, like I think about a third of the way through season two, the 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 murder of Laura Palmer is solved kind of where they find the actual person who committed the murder but it turns out that he's possessed by a demon named bob who is trying to kill people for some reason although they don't really hit on bob that hard until um frost and lynch come back from like their sabbaticals there's a long period of time in season two where neither mark frost nor david lynch were actually writing episodes here but once they solve the murder of laura palmer that knocks the legs out of the whole show. And now, because now we don't, like... Because we've, the we've, idea of the story's been solved, you know? The, the, yeah, the idea of the story's been solved, and so that, like... But we've done that before we got Cooper out of Twin Peaks or, like, solved anything about Twin Peaks. So now the murder's been solved, but Cooper still needs to be here. But there's no reason for him to be here because the murder's been solved. Yeah, and the answer is ghosts. Not really ghosts, but like, you know, it's nothing that can be solved. So at this point, it becomes an X-Files where he just has to leave and drop all the milieu that's been built, all of the characters there, and just needs to walk out. But he can't because it's part of a television series, so he has to stick around, thus completely throwing off and making everything feel just wrong. And also, yeah, and also because of that, like, there's a long time where Cooper just doesn't show up or like... Like Cooper is like sort of an a, a sort of an ancillary character, while they focus on a bunch of other characters in Twin Peaks, leading eventually to like <sighs> leading eventually to the storyline with James Hurley, who is the most boring character in the whole show. He's like he's um I guess some background. He's like this biker, and he has a gang in the first episode. In the pilot, which the gang's quickly lost, along with about half of the cast of the show. Because <laughs> the show has a lot of fucking characters, but, like, the pilot has way more characters. So, James is just this biker, and biker, like, this biker is pretty much the summary of his entire character. Like, he's, he doesn't have anything else going for him, aside from, like, he knew Laura Palmer and was, like, maybe secretly dating Laura Palmer. But aside from that, like... Nothing about Laura Palmer's death affects him, and he's just sort of this guy who's there. And so for some reason, in season two, they decided the best idea for this character was to have him leave Twin Peaks, but have the story follow him to, like, this mansion where he ends up, like, fixing a- he ends up fixing cars, and there's this, like, woman who keeps trying to seduce him despite how he's in high school- and it's like, this is like a multi-episode story arc. And I think to summarize, to summarize, um, Red Letter Media's, uh, discussion of Fire Walk With Me and Twin Peaks, like, once James Hurley leaves Twin Peaks, anytime he shows up in a scene, you can fast forward through that scene and you will not lose anything. Yeah. And this, you know, like you're saying, this, this is, the character has left everything necessary. Even if this was a character story, He's lo- he's lo- left the umbrella. Let him go drown in the rain. <laughs> yeah, and it's and so like that's the thing. Like they when once they solve the murder of Laura Palmer, this immediately like 
knocked out the rest of the show. Like the the all the characters are there. They're still super quirky. There's just nothing really driving them. So the show is just stuff happens for a while. <laughs> And the plot gets really convoluted until uh, Lynch and Frost come back and realize the season's about to end. And they're like, all right, let's like make this really fucking weird. And so now and and they build up this whole thing about Bob and they find this one armed man who also understands Bob and they bring in the White Lodge and the Black Lodge and bring in all these supernatural elements and end the show on a giant cliffhanger to try and get the to try and get the show renewed but like ABC sabotage the show in a whole bunch of ways cuz like on top of making Lynch and Frost like solve the murder of Laura Palmer and and like killing the killing the golden goose as Lynch put it they then just started moving the show to random times like every week yeah and so, even if people wanted to watch the show, they didn't know when it was on. I think also they, because the thing was, like, they were really hoping that putting, I, I remember the thing, the other thing was that they put, they moved the show to the same time slot as Cheers. And they were really hoping that solving the murder of Laura Palmer would get them, like, more ratings than Cheers, basically. <laughs> like, the rise and fall of Twin Peaks is shown, is shown partly by its adherence to the Mice Quotient. And its failure to maintain. Yeah, and it's actually funny because if you watch Fire Walk with Me, which is completely dependent on your knowledge of Twin Peaks, almost completely dependent, that itself represents a very, very concise character story in it because it follows Laura's backstory. It doesn't make a lick of sense if you've never seen it, and it does involve the other ones of the ideas, the milieu, the the characters, the events, because it's about the death of Laura Palmer, and it's kind of a prequel, but not, and will not go into the reasons for that, but ultimately it's about Laura, be, you know, in this place where she's really upset and then trying to f- get out and ultimately we know what's going to happen to her which makes her even more tragic because we just watch her keep like getting beaten down but ultimately it does end with her death which leads into Twin Peaks yeah and it's interesting because you can tell from that that Laura Palmer actually kind of understands what's happening there's also one of the other reasons this, the I, I learned that the movie doesn't make a lick of sense is that there's like two hours of cut material, was it? Yeah, like yeah, two hours of footage. Like there's enough footage cut out that they released all the cut footage as its own movie called Twin Peaks: The Missing Pieces, which explains why all the stuff in the movies app. Like there's a bunch of stuff that it, the, like there's there's a lot of scenes that don't need to be there, but there's a couple scenes that that explain like important points to the story. And also, I think one thing that Red Letter Media pointed out as well, you can tell how David Lynch felt about TV uh, with the opening of Fire Walk With Me, which just opens with a TV getting uh, getting smashed with a sledgehammer. Yeah, for no reason other than, like, I hate TV. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't... I, I am not nearly up to date on the new one. How has the newest season worked out so far? <sighs> Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Man, so I wouldn't say it's adhering strongly to like to to most of them, although it's right now we're in kind of a a starting around the first three episodes. I'm not sure what's going on in the first three episodes of it, because first off, the show is called Twin Peaks, but we like started New York and then we go to Buffalo and then we like. There's a bunch of stories in a bu- in in many other in many other cities that are not Twin Peaks 
but some of it is some of them are setting up the arc about they they bring back bob for this because that that arc was unresolved at the end of twin peaks so they bring that back and they're setting that up by kind of going from city to city so they we sort of get introduced in the same way that we got introduced to cooper in the original series we're getting introduced to bob in this series showing what's showing in uh, kind of through context what's happened over the last 25 years because this is a real-time continuation of Twin Peaks. Uh, it starts 25 years after the series ends, which I think is mostly because at the end of Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper has a dream where he sees Laura Palmer and she says, I'll see you again in 25 years, which I think was supposed to be a throwaway line, but ended up just being perfect. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I can't there's a lot of stuff I can't explain because the the new series assumes that you've watched the first two seasons of Twin Peaks and Fire Walk with me. So it continues to build off of kind of the lore from the series, but we're build but we're kind of I guess you could say we're continuing an event because though even though the death of Laura Palmer isn't the isn't the big event here, what seems to be the big event is at the end of the original Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper disappears. And so the event that we're kind of following here is what's happened since Dale Cooper has disappeared and also eventually getting reintroduced to Dale Cooper, which now is part of its part of its own ongoing storyline. That's very confusing to explain. But similarly, when Cooper comes back, we're now introduced to a new milieu and kind of well, we're introduced to a new milieu and. I guess it's a very character oriented piece now because he's like, he's very much growing and changing as a character and a bunch of other stuff is going on that we don't quite understand. And I think which the story is trying to set up um, as a result of his investigation into Bob. Yeah, this, it sounds like, as you were saying, it's a kind of an event story about what happens to Cooper, but it's actually tying back in because the event of who killed Laura Palmer was solved, but not completed. Because it was solved, Bob killed it, but there was no revolution, resolution of how to deal with Bob. Yeah, and now we're kind of, and now, um, so now there's kind of two, two important storylines in here about Bob and about Cooper. Yeah. And so that will hopefully uh, resolve itself. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's really no longer a milieu story because even though it's called Twin Peaks, most of the action happens anywhere other than Twin Peaks. I mean, mil- we occasionally we occasionally cut back to Twin Peaks because the people there are looking into are still trying to understand what happened to Dale Cooper. It it's still technically milieu. It's just an expanded one where it was locked in the confines of Twin Peaks. Now it has expanded to the United States. Yeah, that's fair. Because I, I think the original one is like Twin Peaks is set in the United States in the real world and it gets weird. And then after 25 years, it's like, no, this world's weird. Let's just explore that. <laughs> But yeah, so now that we have kind of explained the nature of mice using Twin Peaks, how can you use this to develop games for tabletops is the reason we wanted to keep this discussion going. Mice is mice is a good foundation for like for an act structure that it's it doesn't it, it, it complements this kind of stuff. It's a good foundation for a story and especially for a serial. What other thing is more of a serial than like a role playing game? 
where you meet every week and you keep telling a continuing story. And so kind of the kind of the best way to, you know, keep things keep things themed and keep things in line is to is to kind of adhere to uh, you know, consider the mice structure as you're working. Like each any of the, any part of or any part of the mice quotient can be like the founding idea or founding, you know, founding idea milieu character event of your campaign. And I think though you have to kind of change these a little bit because due to in- yeah, due to interaction of the media. Due, due to yeah, due to interaction of media, a character story is going to be a story very focused on your players and an event is probably going to happen every single session of the game. Yeah. It's it's weird in that be it's much like serials but due to interactions like the event is necessary for each game but it's tied to a greater event. Uh the characters that you follow could be an individual character that you're hounding. You could try and run Gatsby the role-playing game but that would be really weird. <laughs> Don't don't you laugh at me? <laughs> no, no, I just want to see Great Gatsby the role playing game. Oh, it sounds awful. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it goes it goes well with the uh, it goes well with the Citizen Kane role playing game. But yeah, like, and it's not hard to think about how you can use the mice quotient in an interactive medium. And like, to to put it bluntly, everybody knows Deadly Premonition, which is a serial numbers filed off version of Twin Peaks. You can use that as kind of an idea. You can study that as how it took the ideas from Twin Peaks and turned it into a video game. And you can also avoid doing some of the stuff that it did that made it kind of a bad video game. (laughs) Which, oddly enough, I I love my favorite way to describe Deadly Premonition is from Pat from Two Best Friends. It's like, at first I hated it, but the more I hate it, the more I love it. The way I describe the the way I would best describe Deadly Premonition is when uh, Suda Fifty One, the designer, basically the maker of Deadly Premonition, was asked what he felt was missing from the game. He said, "I wish you could ride a bicycle." So, yeah, De- Deadly Premonition is, I guess, a good is, I guess, a good study on how to how to take Twin Peaks and and make it into sort of an interactive media, and also a lot of ways that it's deviates from what would be a good mice quotient because like in like twin peaks you're investigating a murder like you're investigating a series of murders and that leads to encounters with the actual murderer which are pretty cool but for some reason also in there there's like a whole life simulation mechanic where you have to remember to keep eating and sleeping and bathing I, except you don't <laughs> and need you have to, to eat. drive everywhere yeah except you don't need to eat if you don't like skip forward in time, and also the director is not uh, pseudo; it's sweary. Oh right, uh, yeah. I always get sweary sixty five and pseudo fifty one mixed up. They both make weird things. <laughs> they also both are kind of weird words that have number set. <laughs> yeah, pseudo fifty one made no more heroes. Yeah, um, but yeah, and then like just taking that even further as an RPG, uh, you know, as a GM and as a consumer of role-playing games in general, you are used to these ideas. You just aren't used to seeing them using these words. Like milieu concerns the world surrounding the character you create. Milieu is a source book. Monsters and other childish things, our favorite, you know, system that we always talk about. That's just describing the world to you. Dungeons and Dragons is just describing the world to you with some mechanical information on how to propagate the world. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say Monsters is a particularly good source book because it it doesn't it explains the setting in as much as like there's monsters they interact with children like they you know and that's but then it also throws out a bunch of other stuff like you don't have to use this here's a bunch of other ways you can use it 
Whereas I think um, Eclipse Phase is a very milieu heavy book or a very milieu heavy game where every book is about like every book is about, you know, more places. And unlike um, I guess also you could say 7th Sea, that's um, drowning in milieu. But um, Eclipse Phase is at least like palatable because you can you don't need to read the entire history of like a planet. You get you get what's going on there. They give you the themes of the planet. They give you some multiple perspectives of what it's like to live there and what people are what what it what it's like for people there. Which is um, honestly, I can see why people say like if you're gonna write a source book, kind of model it off of Eclipse Phase because they do a very very good job explaining in multiple levels why like how how their setting is. Yeah, exactly, and then. Moving down the line, like campaign books are either event stories or idea stories. It is an event you're going to solve, as in Rise of the Rune Lords. You're going to figure out why they're rising. Or the idea story, which is somebody's discovered oil in the West. Time to go, you know, be cowboys. Like, how how does the idea of oil, you know, showing up in a fantasy setting, something like that, how does that change your entire worldview? Yeah, and I guess, like, honestly, like, for most of your Dungeons & Dragons stuff, inciting event is usually what kicks it off. Like, oh, there's an evil wizard. We need to we need to stop him. But we're, in, you know, it's going to be a long and arduous journey. Like, you're going to, it's it's the, the, the event of Big Bad is going to do bad stuff. Yeah, uh, idea is a little bit more heady than what I was saying, but it's, yeah. You mainly, you're going to see events. The idea stories are the stuff I like to write, but they're very hard to find and run properly because it's due to interaction, like asking a question to your players and having them answer that or try to learn from it is difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, like at its core, like an idea is going to lead to sort of investigation. Like the, the whole thing behind idea is you're trying to answer a question. And so trying to write a campaign long question. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a way, you know, there's obviously ways to do that. There's entire, like, I mean, uh, look at, like, Knight's Black Agents, which that isn't, that is an, that is a game designed for idea-centric campaigns, and it's modeled itself in such a way that it, that, that the idea is always easily digestible, in that the idea, I, like, everything is, everything is some sort of conspiracy, like, there's an organization behind it, and so through investigating the inciting incident, you end up being kind of driven into whatever this organization is, which is designed in Knights Black Agents with a, with a story structure that they call the Conspiramid. Oh my god. And I have never heard this before. (laughs) I love it, because in one word, you understand exactly what that is so dumb oh my god <laughs> that's amazingly stupid i love it i know yeah that's 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 ken hyde and robin laws for you that's so that's a night so if you want to do sort of an idea-based thing like kind of you know the conspiramid is it's that's specific to knights black agents because there's always like an evil syndicate or something and you're always kind of going up the ladder trying to find who's at the head of this evil organization and it's usually some kind of vampire because the whole reason this game was made was so you could kill a bunch of vampires (laughs) but that kind of but looking to that kind of structure you can see how to kind of lay out the breadcrumbs for your players so that they can so that through uh through the course of multiple story arcs they can get the they can get the clues together to solve the mystery 
I guess to a lesser degree, No Soul Left Behind is a very idea-centric campaign as well. The whole plot of that is uh, who killed Triskaidecka. And then that one, actually, I would say that also blends into character story because it's about, you know, writing that line. Yeah, yeah, because it's, yeah, because it's um, Better Angels, Better Angels, the game is itself a very character centric game down to the fact that your stats in that game aren't even your, your, your stats and skills aren't stats and skills. They're just like how you go about solving a problem. Yeah, your vir- uh, virtues and vices. Yeah, your stats are divided into vice and virtue. And so it's like there's so on both sides of the spectrum, there's ways to deal with problems and they're very vague ways to deal with it. So it's like you have uh, like even even coming down to a fist fight. So open courage, you deal with a fist fight by or you deal with a you deal with a fight by going out there and just going at the problem directly and as like you know being being the hero about it which is why in the game it's like you can only roll open courage as long as you're as as long as you're the underdog in the situation so if you're bringing your fist to a gunfight that's an open courage situation because it doesn't really matter what you're doing what's more important is how you're doing it whereas on the opposite side of it it's like um sly uh sly cruelty is you there's only really one time that you roll, you only roll sly cruelty when you're using a gun. In fact, I think sly cruelty is you're using a gun and the per- the person you're shooting isn't aware of you. Cause if it's open, it's open cruelty if you're attacking somebody who's weaker than you, but you're being brazen about it. Better. And so, yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing that No Soul Left Behind is because of how Better Angels functions, primarily a character story. Because there are modules and scenarios in it that will kind of, that will drive the plot forward, but you don't, the plot will also be heavily driven by your players because the decisions they make by being demonic supervillains will sort of create their own story. (laughs) And to the same effect, like while Monsters is kind of an idea thing, the games for long-term games turn into character stories as you see how your characters play and then what they do adapts to why they do it and you start exploring the characters and their relationship with the monsters and their relationship with the world yeah that's a good actually in fact that's a really great way to to say it is that yeah it's a it's a very very strong character story to the point where ben bow said if you're having trouble thinking about like thinking about how to write a plot for a monsters game just um, I think the way that it was written in the, uh, the way it's written in the book is like, write the names of all the characters down on a piece of paper and then write all their relationships, um, write all their relationships and do this all in ink and then just spill a bunch of water on the page <laughs> and see what like gets connected by that and figure and then, uh, and then boom, there's your story. These relationships are in conflict for some reason. Yeah. And that's ultimately what happens with a character story is people are messy make them messier (laughs) and i think that's one of the things is that like monsters is you're gonna have a lot of events because there's gonna be a lot of fights because monsters but like at its core like even the sample story in there is like one of the characters is trying to find is is trying to find out why um who spray-painted coward on his dead brother's grave um his brother who was killed in iraq i think and why they did it 
And actually thinking about it more, it also explains uh, why certain systems fail. Like the original Little Fears, for instance, tried to be character stories, but it was more concerned with ideas, and as such kind of failed because you were trying to balance this overarching idea with a character. I'm talking, of course, about the, the Revenant story where it's like, you're kids and the Revenant is killing people and you need to stop them. Oh, by the way, one of the character's dad is one of the murderers of the kid and you can either have your kid go to jail or have him go to jail permanently to appease the Revenant or have the Revenant kill your father or you die trying to stop the Revenant, which then kills your father. And that's just an idea, that's a story centered around the idea of revenge and kind of how it, th- there's no good ending to it. But ultimately, it's supposed to be focused on the characters and this entire messy, messy web created by these people. And this kind of goes to a lesser degree to fate, where we, uh, uh, at least from from my perspective, I've never actually played fate too hardcore, you, you have to kind of remove yourself to the ideas of your character instead of actually being your character you have to rely on your aspects yeah yeah fate is a fate's a weird one um in that yeah at its core fate is a is a care fate is also a character story but it's a character story in it replicating like dime store pulp novels where characters are or re- representing pulp serials where characters never change so it's a character story but it's replicating a genre that was more about like it's it's about because the the whole mechanic of the game is using your own force of personality where your your the aspects of your character are the bonuses that you can throw down on rolls but while it's about being a strong force of personality um because it's dime store pulp it's always more focused on events and ideas so it's like you, you have you have these bombastic colorful like quirky characters who are just a giant ball of quirks that's what pulp is and they go and they get rolled into some situation like you know uh, yeah like uh, like the shadow like i it's been a long time since i've seen that movie i haven't even <laughs> i haven't read any of the serial i haven't read any of the serials behind guy it guy with guns who knows how to do mind powers fights other yeah. people and shadow and he, yeah really yeah any any like long form superhero story also kind of falls prey to this but that's more that's more of a franchise thing and how past a certain point like stories kind of break down into a certain way and look forward of- to that discussion in a couple of months <laughs> yeah so but yeah so like that's kind of the thing is that fate is fate is a character story but the characters are are by their nature very flat um, and there is, there are mechanics for like character growth, like it, like depending on how you and the GM feel, your character's aspects can change if you feel like that aspect is no longer, like no longer applies to your character. So it does have the capacity for that, but it's like you again are like defined by a handful of features that your character is on top of their stats and skills. Exactly. And when- I will say that fate does a lot of other things very well. But it's like, yeah, its core its core idea is a little muddled. Um, yeah, and I didn't mean to say failure as in, like, it's a bad system as much as this is a negative to a system in general. A detriment, I guess, to it. And again, like you're saying, like, a lot of this, because of it's due to interaction, and this is a cooperative 
event that we're playing in a cooperative medium, a lot of these issues can be solved just by, as per usual, like we usually say, talk with your GMs and talk with your players and find where the issues arise so you can kind of iron them out or express issues that you want to, you know, be addressed or maybe have emphasis on in, in a future game. And similarly, um, once you kind of like, you've probably been writing using like in some way using the mice quotient for the whole time, but being able to put a label on things and figuring out like what the, you know, being able to, being able to put labels on things and figuring out what the root of your game is is a very important thing to understand, especially while you're writing it and while you're discussing the campaign you're going to play with your players. Yeah, so like, for for instance, I have a, a Delta Green game I've been working on, and using the mice quotient, the overall story is an idea. You know, what happens with this? I'm not spoiling it because I'm running this at Gen Con. Deal with it, nerds. Um, but the first game is the event, and the event is your first encounter with this idea. And then the second game that I hopefully can somehow eventually run or write is what happens when you start to learn from it. And it's slightly based off language acquisition. So the idea is then divided into the events, which are then divided into character stories, which then ultimately work together to form a new world idea that can be possibly shoved into other games. That actually sounds pretty strong. Um, I think just kind of thinking about other Think about other kinds of um, other kinds of existing, like I guess, games that we've done or APs that we've listened to or whatever that also could be broken down this way. Um, I think you had a couple going in. Um, I know. Well, currently, um, w- with the D and D game going on, we have the milieu of just literally there of taking the idea of Innistrad from Magic: The Gathering and the idea of curse of strahd from D, and kind of smashing it together to do a milieu story of like what happens this is kind of a meta example of taking a what happens if you take a D story and put it in a different one what t- how how does the world change the meta world essentially and then we also have how uh, i have mentioned that frida's essentially uh starts kind of as a just like character piece but there is a core event in it that makes it an event story of if you've listened to it all when george uses the firebird to cause all types of chaos and havoc that's where the story starts happening and the entire story kind of tangles from there but at its core it's an event story of you know i did this here's the fallout of it yeah, and I think a lot of monster stories are going to alternate between character and event stories for that reason, because of the whole idea of the game being that you can use your monster to solve a problem, it's just going to make more problems. Yeah, and like I know for Max on the main site, one of the side ones that we did, which was Strange Times, I believe, I never get the name right, that was a very heavy character-based story where we just happened to have monsters that then eventually became an event story as we try to find a point to it because due to poor GM uh, player communication, it was kind of muddled as to what was going on. Yeah. That was a thing where we didn't discuss what we wanted and uh, just that led to a lot of people being sort of unsatisfied. Yeah. And then what else? The art clearly our EP game is just an idea. Sam based it off of the, Oh, I can't remember what it is. Wasteland? The Wasteland. Yeah, based it off the Wasteland, and it was the ideas of, you know, concentric circles of revenge and in a world where no one dies. And it just makes 
things get worse and worse as you know cruelties on, on top of cruelties on top of ex you know escalation on top of escalation uh also going to event stories uh i think there's uh, a game on rpvr site called uh, a very thorough murder which that's a one-off game or i guess i guess a three it was a three-part game like i guess kind of turned into a mini campaign where that game literally starts off with Caleb just asking the players how they murdered this man. <laughs> and the rest of the game goes, is, builds itself off of that very thorough murder they did. Actually, thinking about this, going back to ours, that's one of the issues I as a player had with Ashton, is that the entire idea was that we were superheroes who were in high school. But as the game continued, it became less about that idea and became more about being superheroes. And so the idea got muddled, which builds into our franchise idea that we will talk about later. But, yeah, I mean, we got to have both good and the bad when we tell people about our ideas and what we did. No shame no, in it. No, our, our site's perfect. We'll go listen to all 600 episodes. <laughs> all of it forever, especially mine, Internet. I don't get enough playtime. Greg, I want you to give me more quotes. <laughs> <laughs> you can quote me quoting that. All right, um, I think that's everything we will cover today, but we do have some events coming up. Uh, Gen Con, specifically, coming up in August. I thought it was a month later. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> yes, we, uh, the, the, the yeah, Drunk and August Ugly... August 17th to 20th. Yeah, it's because I, I got an actual conference in July, which, uh, which if you go to Gen Con, you will see a slightly less heady academic version of it. And you can ask me if you want the heady academic version of it. That's fine as well. Um, but yeah, at Gen Con, we will have lots of events going on between me, Matt, and the rest of the Drunk and Ugly. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah, so I'm going to be um, running games uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, it's actually going to be the same game every time because I uh, kind of lost track of time and didn't prep anything new this year. So I'm running Nightlight Harbor, um, which is going to be, yeah, 10 to 2 every single day um so you can look that up at the gen con site i'll put up links to the site um they're all the the games these games are all sold out already but there's a chance you get some no shows so if you want to like bookmark it or whatever you can find the locations of the games um looks like they're all in the jw um yeah they're actually all in the wow wait what okay they're all in the jw 303 table one all three of them you don't have to move perfect I don't have to move for three whole days. Just plant yourself in that chair. We'll live stream you for the conference, uh, for the other panels we're doing. Just, yeah, I'll just send out a text whenever I need a taco. A taco? Come on, man, it's Indianapolis. They got some other native foods other than a taco. They got native foods like corn. I don't know what the Indianapolis, like, signature food is, but I damn sure, I'm, I'm damn sure it's not a taco. You know, I knew my... Man, I've been to Indianapolis a lot. I, I don't know what their signature food is. My grandma lived there. I don't know what it is. What a monster. Speaking of monsters, um, I have four games I'm running. Um, they're all Delta Green. They are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 3 p.m. Sunday at 9 a.m. Um, it's my uh, the one I was talking about earlier. Uh, Delta Green Storage Wars, Episode 1, Exposure. And then I have one panel 
uh, on Saturday at 1 p.m. called Neo Lovecraftian Horror, which uh, is a article I wrote last year. I tried to get to do a Gen Con last year, and I ended up not having the money for it. And then also, we just got accepted, I see, for another panel, which is for the conference I'm going to in July, um, and being retooled for you guys to listen to Herding Cats, Players, and Ludonarrative Dissonance in Role-Playing Games. Yeah, so I'll probably... Is that, are you going to be doing Neil Lovecraftian horror on your own this time, or you can hop in? Be, uh, the, yeah. it, as per usual, it's going to be heavy. I probably won't have a lot to contribute, just like last year. I've uh, having a backup. You're my co-host. You're my co-pilot, man. I need you. Sure. I mean, I'm an expert on all subjects. I mean, gotta act like one. Don't let them know you're not. Internet, you're supposed to mute for that last bit. <laughs> yeah, and then who else is doing stuff at our? Uh, at Gen Con for um, Drunk and Ugly? I know uh, James and Susan are both going to be running a lot of games for John Wick. And in fact, Susan posted in our Discord, um, there's, there, and I'll, I'll link this in the uh, show notes, but um, there's a, they're still looking for more people to run 7th C 2nd Edition, and they're willing to pay for your con badge if you run a bunch of games for them. Um, so you can either sign up on the survey, which I'll throw in the show notes, uh, or you can send an email about it to GenCon at JohnWickPresents.com. Yeah, and I would highly suggest if you can run games, do it. That's how I'm getting in for free, because I'm selling my soul to Delta Green, which is not uncommon for anybody tied to the Delta Green organization. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh running running games. Uh, even if you even if they don't fully pay for your badge, running games or running events in general, whatever your ticket price is, that goes to reimburse costs for stuff at Gen Con. So, uh, I've never gone to a Gen Con where I haven't been presenting or running stuff. We are overachievers. It's 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 our natural habit. Yeah, I remember the first year Sam and I went, and we I think between the two of us ran like ten games. Yeah, I think the first year I went, I covered for Sam, and I did interviews for my thesis. So I didn't have a panel, but I worked. I still worked pretty hard. Oh yeah, because the year that you the year that no, we you had a panel. You came because we um. Oh, you did the right. Skype gaming panel. I did a panel. I did interviews, and I ran a game. I was a way overachiever. That was also the year that Sam was going to do the panel about talking about sort of dystopia, which um, ultimately uh, Ross and I just ended up talking about that. Yeah, and I think I wasn't in there because I was doing something else. I can't remember. I think you did. I don't know. Or or you just didn't do enough, didn't do a lot of work on writing dystopia and just yeah. didn't feel like you'd be part of that. That sounds about right. Um, but yeah, I think that's our Gen Con schedule. We'll throw this again uh, when we have another episode, because there's a couple of months between uh, now and Gen Con. Only one-ish. Uh, well, just, just, <laughs> I mean, it's, at the time of recording, there are two. Shh. Shh. Internet, you're hearing me shush. <laughs> Stop shushing. Shush, shushing. Okay. I, got, I gotta add that. All right. All well, right. uh, do you have anything else to to kind of hit the end of the show with? Nope. All right. Well, um, I'd like to uh, again. I'd like to thank um, Elijah Judd for writing our theme music. You can find uh, more of his stuff at WithinTheGiantsOnBandcamp.com. And um, if you like this episode, be sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, be sure to uh, you know share the episode on your 
social media platform of choice. We are on uh, we are on Twitter and the Tumblr. Um, Twitter at uh, the Drunk and Ugly. Tumblr at theyknowthings.tumblr.com. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, I am. Uh, I recently just changed my Twitter handle. I am now Space Cow two four five five on Twitter. And uh, Travis, I, I changed mine. I think I'm Wandering Scholar. All right. So with those modified, look for those modified ones. Um, I also retook my original, uh, my original handle, and all it has is a tweet saying, "Go check out my new handle." <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's everything. So again, internet. Until next time, remember, we, we know, know things. things. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>